Hey fam, welcome to Simplexity, a podcast that we take seemingly complex matters and we attempt to make them plain and simple. My name is Sammy Foster, sitting here with my co-host, the one and only Boots. Boots, that's me. And uh, I happen to have a present for you, Boots. <laughs> a very a special treat. A little treat. So what our listeners and viewers do not know is that over the course of the past, what, five days were you gone? Uh, seven. Thanks for noticing. <laughs> Could have stayed a little longer. <laughs> Nevertheless. I know. It doesn't feel like I've been gone, though. No. Nah. they're just like, what, it's, it's the same time frame. Uh, th- that is true. But over the course of our break from last Monday to this Monday, yeah. you have been uh, across the pond. Yeah, as say. they say. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas you were in... England? Yep. London in particular. Started off in London, uh, took train to a few different smaller towns throughout the London countryside. Oh. Really, truth be told, I was doing a uh, a fan meetup with some of our Simplexiters in the UK. (laughs) I know you're listening. We're coming for you. Yeah. We're coming. We're setting up shop. Went to Scotland. It was a beautiful, beautiful trip. Was it? Oh, yeah. So... Just to clarify, you went with both of your brothers, mm-hmm, right? John mm-hmm. and Dominic, along with their wives, uh, Brittany and Merbabe. I like to call her what did Mary. Merbabe. It's just a little, little, little thing that um, her grandmother is oh. named Mary. Okay. Mary Cox is married to Jack Cox. Nobody really cares. Let's about do a little that. family genealogy <laughs> for the listeners. <laughs> little tree. Yeah, shouldn't have and, asked. And and I used to call. Aunt Mary, which I used to refer to her as, is Merbabe. Okay. And so Mary has now picked that up. Nevertheless. So them and my girlfriend Hannah, we all all went. Or your soon-to-be wife. One day. Yes. Boots. Okay. And uh, that could have gotten a lot more awkward. That could have (laughs) gotten a lot of trouble. (laughs) That is true. But I have a gift for you. And it was a gift that was given to me. For you, for us, for us, while you were gone. And that is a little, <laughs> a little Boots table in the house decor. What? So oh, hold on, let me, let me. That look, yeah. Nope, nope. Oh, oh. Okay, this is what it says. Yeah, I'll place it for okay, you. Okay, thank you, Boots. You there had it go. perfect the first time. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> he gets a little confused with the mirrors throwing. <laughs> Yes. So a little shout out to Cheryl. Cheryl. That is uh, a Where did you faithful. get this, Cheryl? That, that is, yeah, she's a great simplexer, one of our greeters here. Uh, just a wonderful person. Staple on our movement team. Yeah. And Cheryl always has an incredible tan. Have you noticed that? <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's real, Cheryl, but it looks real. And kudos to you, girl. Well, you're the real deal. Let's just say that much. But... Um, I am curious where, like, was this was this custom made or was it just like you see that somewhere? Like, because it feels very fitting for us, but it seems kind of counterintuitive. Like, most people aren't going to be like, boots in the house, please. You know what I mean? I think you're overthinking it, boots. It was a <laughs> gift that was given to you. It's not look the gift horse in the mouth. All right, little partner. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm just showing that I'm I'm genuinely curious about it. Right. But I like it a lot. Thank you. Ever heard of gratitude? I am grateful. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let's get to it. Okay. So you're fresh back. We're going to jump into a uh, something that I have worked on in your departure because you weren't here to work with me. Yeah. But uh, as you were gallivanting the London countryside, I've been back here really just laboring away for our viewers and listeners didn't you go somewhere too i did (laughs) (laughs) yeah i took asher away to miami wow yeah for his 18th birthday and his graduation present oh that's cool yeah just the two of you nope mama dukes came with so it was ruth ash and myself we had a wonderful time sounds very memorable yes yes it was yes it was for the sheer fact that i spent more money than i had (laughs) yeah same here. So I will remember that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, I'll remember it. Yeah, Dave Orso's listening. He's like, <laughs> "Dag on it." Yeah. What did he call? What did he call the um, those experiences? Uh, a YOLO yearbook. A YOLO yearbook. Was that it? Right. Fact check. <laughs> Something like that. Is that right? There was another word. 
Yes. Yeah, yeah. It was that it was like that Japanese or like oh. that Asian word that he Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't remember what that yeah. was. But nevertheless, his big charge was when you do a memorable moment like that, make sure that you've saved for it so that while you're in the midst of it or in the in the in the doing it, mm-hmm. that you don't have to think about the finances of it. You're just yeah. free to enjoy it. In the moment. Yeah. I wasn't able to do that. No. <laughs> <laughs> Every place you go, you're just like <laughs> counting yeah. to carry the one. Okay, so uh, what are we talking about today? So today, um, you know, for those of our listeners who attend Lighthouse Church, you've spoken a number of times and shared part of your story, your testimony of your your battle with addiction. Yep. Um, and you've shared about that in, in varying degrees, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes you'll touch on it, other times, you know, you'll go a little bit more in depth, but I think we thought it'd be helpful just for you to really take some time to unpack it yeah. um, from from start to finish what the Lord has done in you. And, you know, and I want to say this on the front end, um, <laughs> as <laughs> someone as someone who's known you for, for 20 years, mm. you know, you've been my pastor for that extent of time, um, Anytime you mention it from the stage, you know, when you're preaching, and, and you'll say, you'll sometimes say something along the lines of, I know you've heard this a million times, you, but just for, for your awareness, I never get sick of hearing uh. what, what, what Jesus has done and, and how he's restored you and saved you. Um, and so every time you mention that, and I'm like, I'll just be sitting there in the seat <laughs> going, say it again, pastor. <laughs> so with that... Um, on the front end, yeah, could you just unpack a little bit of, of your story? Yeah, sure I can. I, um, you know, talking about addiction is a real passion point of mine because I think that addiction is really, um, it's a symptom, as, as, as some would say, it's a fruit of a deeper root. And so we talk a ton about addiction um, certainly in our present day, because addiction runs so rampant and so many people are enslaved to it. But what I failed to realize in my in the midst of it is that it really was um, a telltale or a symptom of something that I was doing externally that really spotlighted and really exposed something that was a deficit internally. So what I mean by that is I was raised in a, in a Christian home. I say it often. I had the model home mm-hmm. where I watched my father, who not only was my father, but he was my hero because I respected him so much. I marveled at just the man that he was, the swag that he had, the way that he carried himself, the way that he loved my mother, the way that he loved me, my brothers, my sister. Um, and yet he, he made it his aim um, all through all of our childhoods. That would go for myself, my older sister, Faith, my younger brother, Jack, my younger brother, David. And then I have an older brother, Scott. Um, he really made it his aim to get close to us. And he always used to say, I want your heart before I want your hands. Mm-hmm. What that meant was, is I want, I want to connect with you, you know, before I, I, I want your behavior. And he, he really modeled that. And that came as a result of him being sort of raised in, after he got saved, he was really steeped in a really legalistic environment where behavior modification was what was championed the most. Yeah. Act a certain way, talk a certain way, look a certain way, be a certain way, and then God will approve of you. He had a dramatic experience with Jesus at the death of his first wife, Mm. where he thought that if he really walked in a degree of righteousness, he was convinced God would heal her. And that didn't happen. Dad and and, uh, his first wife, her name was Patricia, she struggled with leukemia for nine years and eventually passed away. They got married when they were 19 years old. At 20 years old, she she came down with Mm. leukemia. Mm. And so at the age of 29, she passed away. And it was a horrific battle for that that full tenure. Yeah. And so when she passed away, there was something that that was liberated in my father. He realized religion does not work. 
what he realized was, is my Christianity was, was given to me by the grace of God to have a relationship with God, mm -hmm. not to look, act, talk, and be a certain way. That's a byproduct of my love for God and his love for me and the grace that I inherit in the process. But to try to change before he or change from the inside out is, is, is an endless feat. Yeah. And it doesn't work and it doesn't, and that's not a means to manipulate God. Dad had this whole sort of doctrinal and, and theological paradigm shift when his wife died. And I became the beneficiary of that. Yeah, so that, that reflection of relationship first turned into his parenting style. Oh my gosh, certainly. And, and I know you've, you've told stories even, I don't know why this has, has stood out to me, but that he would just wake you up on a random, yeah. you know, Tuesday morning or whatever before you had to go to school and be like, all right, Sammy, let's go. We're going to New York City. New, like, yeah, that, was, that's all connection. That's all relation. That's like, it. That's so, it. That's so cool to you. Yeah. Though. Like on on his birthday, he would come home from work and bring all of us presents, mm -hmm. like just certain things that just spoke to the caliber of man that he was and just his heart. But all of that. I, 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 the reason that I bring that to the forefront when I speak about my addiction is that I really do that in an aim to speak to parents who have sons, daughters, um, even, even spouses, where they carry a guilt or a weight of what, what could I do different? My parents couldn't have done anything different. I was hell-bent on, on partying, getting high, doing what I wanted to do at a disregard of their heart, of all that they had done. And so I set my path. And my path started off with just casual partying, little this, little of that. Got linked up with an older crowd. When I was in ninth grade, I used to run with the seniors, you know, at Old Mill. And one thing led to another of where um, it, it, it culminated in a heroin addiction. And the truth is, is that when people ask, what was the driver behind that? Did you have father issues? Did you have a dysfunctional home? Did you have trauma? Was there hurt? No, mm -hmm. I just didn't like being sober. Yeah. I did not like being sober and I didn't know why. Now, a lot of that had to do with just the way that I'm wired. I'm analytical, I can't stop thinking. It was my way of shutting the motor down a little bit and sort of just numbing the voice in my head that was either convicting or it was either God drawing, or it was me feeling like I need to do more, be better. It was something in there, but it was my way of sort of checking out. Mm -hmm. All that to say, as a, as a result, I didn't have any fear of, of running and gunning, meaning um, I used to run in and out of the city and I would be in places where uh, a young guy had no business being, I wasn't, e it, I, and you're, it you're, you're what age at this point? I'm, Sorry. I'm 18, nine, to, at, at its, at its height, I'm 18, 19, getting ready to turn 20. Okay. Um, you know, my drug use started at, you know, 13, 14, you know, dabbling. And so now we're, we're, we're a few years into it, but it's, it's full blown. So as a result, what I started to, see is is naturally you, you run out of runway and and i saw people do that where their addiction was so bad that um my my best friend my roommate he died of a heroin overdose mm -hmm. other friends that i ha had uh, passed away as well and so therein at least provided a momentary sobriety of wait a minute this is real deal this is the you know Death is at the door. And I could sort of feel it. I believe that most addicts know you're, you're, you're running against the clock now. Be, you, you, there's something in your intuition, mental and physical sort of, you know, economy. You know, mm, I'm, I'm, I'm running out of runway here. Mm -hmm. And I knew it. I knew that the, uh, death is imminent and I got to either pull up or, or do something so it was that I had had to go back home, ran out of money, my roommate passed away, I'm living back home. Long story short, that was, there were boundaries that were then set. Okay, if you're gonna live here, we're not gonna pace the living room floor at two o'clock in the morning. We're, okay. not, we're not gonna let you, you run and gun. And so if you're here, you're gonna abide by our rules. 
And, and they weren't overly stringent. It was just, hey, we want to come and respect. You tell us, you know, where you're going and when you're coming. Th that was it. Well, I had gone on a bender, like where I was gone for three, four days. No phone call, no nothing, yada, yada, yada. And my parents were convinced he's dead. He's dead. Um, they had heard all the surrounding news of all of the, the guys that I ran with that had passed away. Sammy's, Sammy's AWOL. Yep. And so it was, I had, um, I was so sick. I was dope sick. And I had started um, to think I, I got to get out of this. I was in this dope house and I thought I got to go home. I got it. I got it. I got to at least find safe haven. Just as an aside, one interesting thing is that although my, my parents' house was a house that either I would get disciplined in or I would get preached to or I was told what I was doing was wrong and they were the authority therein, I always knew because it was so real to me Every time I was in that house, there was a peace there. Yeah. Every time, and I would go there knowing I was getting get I was getting ready to get reamed out. Yeah. And I would think I'll pay the price just to be in a haven of peace. And you've mentioned before that that was even a sense of security. It cer it certainly was. That's why I knew I gotta I gotta go home. I got to get. Um, I'm not well physically. I'm not, certainly not well mentally. I got to get home. Mm -hmm. And so I knew, man, there's going to be hell to pay when I get there. But nevertheless, so I got up. It was in the middle of the summer, 7 o'clock in the morning. I had been up all night. It was a mess. Mm -hmm. I, I can still to this day remember how I felt waiting for the sun to come up. It was horrible. And that doesn't even capture it. Mm. And so I started to walk down what was Patriot Lane. I don't know if you know where Patriot oh, Lane I is. Do. It's the lane that leads to Old Mill High School. Yeah. And so I was walking down Patriot Lane. And Patriot Lane, for those that don't know, it is like this long, straight road where you can see the end from the beginning. You can see the, the high school. It feels like it's like a mile long. It's probably only, you know, a half mile long. But it's, it's so clear that you can see the end. Yeah. And you can see the, the road that turns onto it. And as I started to walk down that road, it was so hot that morning. It was like 100 degrees, and it was like 7 a.m. And, and maybe that was just me. But I was walking. I didn't have any shirt on. Really? had these raggedy flip-flops. It was, it was a mess. And mm. I just thought, get me home. And lo and behold, I looked to the end of the road, and I saw a car turning onto it. And I, I realized, oh, my gosh, that's my parents' car. And it felt like eternity for that car to get to me. And so I had all this time, which was probably about 30 seconds, <laughs> yeah. but it felt like I had, you know, an hour to think through what I would say. What am I going to say when they pull up next to me? First, I didn't know if they were out looking for yeah, me. How do they even know? Right. I didn't know if they were going somewhere. And what I had sort of a momentary sort of, trigger was I, it was a Saturday and I realized they are probably going to the church. And the reason being is because the church in which we were part of that I seldom went to, they had bought a piece of property in Severn, Maryland. And every single Saturday for months, they would go to this property and clear the land. Mm. As the, so all the men and all yeah. the women would go there and they would, you know, it was just a big old sort of what felt like an Amish hoorah, where they would clear bushes and Which trees. Which sounds like a great time. <laughs> yeah, yeah actually, in retrospect, I think it was. Yeah. Because they all showed up, they'd have donuts and coffee, and there'd be like, you know, 100 guys there. It was really cool. Mm. And I realized, oh, that's probably where they're going. But yet I was freaking out. And I thought, when my father sees me, as much as he loves me, he's going to get out of that car, and he's going to beat me into the asphalt. Mm -hmm. And I deserved every bit of it. There wasn't... But, but I was scared. The only emotion that I had that shadowed my fear was I was so sick. Mm. Like it took everything I had to put one foot in front of the other. And that car pulled up next to me and slowed down. 
and stop. And I looked in that car. And for some reason to this day, I still don't know why. Neither does my father since I asked him before he passed away. My old man was sitting shotgun. He never sat shotgun. <laughs> like he never let my mother drive. Yeah. And for good reason. But he never sat shotgun. This day he was sitting shotgun. And he had this, his big old arm hanging out the window. I mean, he, he had big old muscles. And he had this cutoff t-shirt. And I saw his tattoo. It said mm -hmm. Paul. And he looked up at me, and he had a tear that came out of his eye. Mm. And he said to me, Sammy, long dramatic pause, looking at me dead in my runners. And he said to me, <laughs> he said, <laughs> hold up, hold up. Okay. He said, when I grow up, man, I want to be just like you. <laughs> and what that meant was, is I see all your flaws. Mm. I see all of your mess. I've heard all of your lies. I've seen all of you promising and not delivering. And yet, I see all your potential. And he said, I love you, man. I'll see you when I get back home. He goes, be there. And dude, <laughs> hey, in that moment, I broke. It was, it was a Holy Spirit moment for yeah. me of where I could not stop crying. I cried all the way home. I just walked and, and, and wept. And I don't use that word off. Mm -hmm. I mean, I wept. And it was in that moment that I realized, as the scriptures say, it's by his loving kindness that we come to repentance. Mm -hmm. And my father modeled that. It was he loved me to brokenness. He didn't browbeat me. Yeah. He didn't guilt me. He didn't threaten me. He loved me, and then it broke me. He had every right to get out of that car and be like, what you have put me and your mother through I'm gonna, I should hurt you. I, we have paced the living room floor, of which I would find out after the fact. We have called everyone and anyone. We have freaked out, we've lost sleep. And yet rather than throwing all that on me, he just said, I love you and I respect you and I wanna be like you. I, Boots. That's incredible. And so from that, that, that was my breaking point. That's when I went into Teen Challenge. So I would go home. I would make, I, I got a physical, the, the rehabilitation program that would take me required that. And um, two days later, I was in Teen Challenge of Maryland in Capitol Heights. Oh my gosh. And, um, and a week later is where I met Jesus. I mean, I met Jesus on the side of Patriot Lane. Yeah. I met Jesus personally in, in a, in a d different degree of depth in Teen Challenge. And I would spend 13 months in that program and I came out and I've never been the same. Yeah, and, and, and I want to talk about that experience in just a moment. Um, but obviously, you know, you had the chance to to chat with your father for mm. for years, years following that right that catalytic moment. Um, did he ever tell you like what was going on through his head as he pulled up in that car? And because of course he, he's got to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to love you. Yes. To repentance like that. So what, what were those conversations like after you, you know, got clean? Totally. You know, tr tr true story. My father used to tell me, you know, when I was running and gunning and I was, you know, sitting in front of him, we would talk and I was lying to him and he knew it. He said to me one time, I love you, but I don't like you. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, don't, I don't blame him. I wasn't likable. I was deceptive. It, do know this about addiction. It, you cannot be an addict and not be a manipulator. Manipulation and addiction go hand in hand. So uh, an addict is a liar. Why? Because you are doing whatever, however, to whomever to get what you think you need. Mm -hmm. And so you got to work people. You got to work people. You got to work situations. You got to work employers. You got to work parents. You got to work spouses. You got to work. You, you got to work people. So manipulation and addiction go hand in hand. 
That said, so my father, he wasn't smart enough to know every time I was lying, but he just knew I was a liar. Mm -hmm. And so he would say to me, I love you, but I don't like you because I can't trust you. And I, I totally got it. When he married me after I got clean, <laughs> I'm going to cry again. <laughs> when he married me, he was my best man in my wedding. <laughs> and he got up and he said something before Pastor Jack Cox, you know, pronounced Ruth and I husband and wife. He said, hey, Sammy, I want to tell you one thing in the company of all, all our friends and family. He said, not only do I love you, he said, but I want you to know I so like you. Mm. <laughs> I, I, right before I got me, I, here I was once, those words, Boots, mm. they, meant, they meant more to me than he loved me it, because it was a testament to how far we had come yeah. that he said, I like you now. That's, mm. and, and we were best friends. Yeah. We were from that, from, from my graduation of rehab to his passing away, we were best friends. Although my brother would argue, no, 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 we were best friends. <laughs> yeah. um, I'll, I'll, I'll take him to task on that. Yeah. Nevertheless, he said to me that day that I said, what was going through your mind? He said, that day is when I realized the father in the prodigal son story in Luke 15. Mm -hmm. He said, I realized why he ran towards his son. Yeah. He said, oh my I was overwhelmed with love for you. And he said, and I pitied you. So what I wanted to do is just, I didn't want to guilt you. Yeah. I saw how, how pathetic you were. Mm -hmm. And he said, and what I wanted to do is minister in any way that I could out of a love for you. He yeah. said, and so my love surpassed my anger. And so that's, that's, that was the catalyst. That was the breaking point of which then I went into that program and um and i realized real, real quick yeah just want to mention <laughs> the the similarity i was thinking about the similarity between the prodigal son story and just how as you're at the bottom of that lane looking up preparing the speech almost that you're gonna say when you get home right that right. that and, i've never thought of that but that's so true but then pastor paul your father yeah to a t Oh my gosh. Demonstrating the love of the father. Yep. That is, that is. Cause amazing. it says in Luke 15, the son thought to himself, I'll go home and I'll ask my father, can I be one of your servants? Yeah. Like, can I take the lowliest of rungs just to get my foot back in the house? He said, at least then I'll have food to eat and a place to stay. Yep. Like that's, that's all he, he thought. And then he goes home and gets the fat, the fatted calf, the ring on his finger, the robe, and the kiss on the neck. The, I want to be just like you when I get older. Come on, somebody. Come on, man. That's amazing. Yeah. So, so can you speak a little bit to um, the, the Teen Challenge experience? Yeah. And um, when you did meet Jesus in that moment? Because that's something that you've shared from the stage before, and I know that's incredibly powerful as well. Yeah. So I, I went then into that program. And do know this, here, here's how deep addiction runs and here's how far sin runs, is that even though I was broken, I was in that program and I thought, I don't need to stay here for the full duration. Yep. Mm -mm. I thought, I just need to detox, I need to get clean, and then I need to, um, I need to go back at it and just live my life in a productive way but I, I don't need to stay here. That was, that was my own shallow, foolish, sinful ego that thought, I can't waste my time in here. Meanwhile, I'm a heroin addict that thought, just a little tune up here and a little wedge there, man, I'm gonna be right back at it. I'm yep. good to go. And so it was that after being in there for two weeks, what, what, what it's called is, it's called blackout. So no communication, no letters, no phone calls, no, no seeing anybody outside of the program that, that helps you focus dial in and so the the following saturday after the two-week blackout you're allowed to make your first phone call okay and so the friday prior to that saturday i had planned i'm just going to call my buddy and have him come pick me up and i might even have him take me to my parents house to show him how well i'm doing yeah you know surprise <laughs> aren't you glad to see me <laughs> i had put like in two weeks i had put like 
10 to 12 pounds on, you know, I felt like, man, I, I look like Adonis. I'm ready to come <laughs> yeah. out of here, man, and get back at it. My, my parents are going to be so proud of me. <laughs> Little did I know they had told me, had you come home, <laughs> we would turn your skinny rear end right back around and driven you right back to <laughs> yeah. D.C. And yet my plan was I'm going to call my buddy. I'm going to have him come pick me up and I'm out of here. And so I laid my head back on the pillow that night, nine o'clock. Now, now, Steve Healy always says this because I mean, I know the time, I know the date, I know the, 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 I, I know everything that was happening that night. I will never forget it. It is so vivid to me. I was laying in this bed, the window was open because the house that we stayed in had no AC, mm. so it was roasting in there. 9.30 was lights out. So it was around nine, nine ten. I laid down. There were two dogs that were fighting in the backyard adjacent to the home that that was part of the program. And I haven't heard these details. Oh this yeah, is, oh, yeah. And good. it was it was it was in the the latter part of July. Mm -hmm. And so I thought I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. And in my room comes walking this monstrosity of a man. And he had just been dropped off there. This was his first night in the program. And so his name was Chuck. And he comes walking in and he looked at me. He sort of mean mugged me. Didn't even say hi. It was, it was, it was a little intense. And yeah. I was scared. Yeah. Not scared. Scared. <laughs> and he comes walking in and looks at me like, look at this punk. <laughs> and, and. He started to put all of his little toiletries on the shelf mm -hmm. and nice and neat. You could tell Brub Man had been incarcerated. Yeah. <laughs> he had done he had done a bid. And so he was there by court order. Okay. Whereas I was there getting ready to leave. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah. so I laid my head back at night and boots. As sure as I'm sitting at this table with you, I heard this. Sammy, you find out how awesome I am and you'll fear me. And when you fear me, you'll obey me. And when you obey me, you'll fall in love with me. And I, I just stiffened up just a little bit. And I was like, that was, that was weird. So was this like, was this like auditory? Was this no. like... In it was it in was in what my it, head. What did it sound like? It it was such in succession, it, just like that. And it was sweet. Just sweet. it was a sweet voice. Jesus has a sweet voice. <laughs> <laughs> we should put that on a T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it wasn't authority. It was Sammy. You find out how awesome I am, and you'll fear me. And when you fear me, you'll obey me. And when you obey me, you'll fall in love with me. Mm. It would, and that the second time I sat up, you heard it twice. Oh, oh, hold up, don't stop there. And I swung my legs off the bed and just sat just like this. <laughs> and I just looked at the floor and I heard it again. Sammy, you find out how awesome I am and you'll fear me. And when you fear me, you'll obey me. And when you obey me, you'll fall in love with me. I've had one, one book that sat next to my bed. It's a composition. It was that salt and pepper notebook, you know, yeah, you know, yeah. and I peeled, picked it up and I just started writing it over and over and over. Oh my gosh. And that day is what I often say from the front, from the stage. Mm -hmm. That was my experience with Jesus that I could not believe that the God of heaven loved me so much to pierce through the house. I was on Clovis Avenue, downtown, Northeast DC, rough part of town. Nine, 10 at night, pierced through this proud, arrogant heart and gave me the time of day. Mm. And I sat there and I, and I cried again. Yeah. <laughs> I had a lot of crying in, 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 a, in a few weeks. And I cried, never looked back. Oh my God. I was game over. Game over. That's amazing. And then as a byproduct of that, I just, I prayed that night laying in that bed, God save me. 
I want to know you. It was so simple. I didn't even know how to pray. I felt like I didn't know how to pray, and I was raised in the church. Mm. For the first, I could pray a formal prayer. I could act a part. I could, if, if somebody said pray over dinner. Yeah, you bless that food. Oh, now, now that Jesus was right here, it was almost like I didn't know how to talk to him. Yeah. And so I just got very simple, and I just said, God, save me. I want to get close to you. And, and as a byproduct of that prayer, the, the, the next miracle that happened is I had this insatiable desire to read the word. Mm. I just couldn't stop reading scripture. I wanted to read it any downtime that we had, I was reading. And it was like, it was brand spanking new to me. I was raised in a Christian school. I was yeah. raised in a gospel-centered home. I'd been in church my whole life. It was like every sentence I had never heard before. Mm -hmm. And so I would just turn those pages and underline. I was you were like, in like, Leviticus, like, <laughs> oh, this is great. Like numbers was blowing my mind. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I turned that Bible into like a coloring book. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was highlighting. I'd like highlight like a full page. Yeah. Like, what do you need to highlight it for? <laughs> it's all highlighted. <laughs> yeah, that defeats the purpose, man. Yeah, right. Nothing's distinct. That is where, that's where I met Jesus. And so for the 13 months that followed, that's where I really learned that my addiction and my, my disdain for sobriety was really a, a root, uh, or, or rather, it was rooted in something. Yeah. And it would manifest itself like I did not like me sober. I didn't like people sober. Um, I really can't say that I like people now sober. However, but you love them. <laughs> JK, JK. But but what I will say is is that what 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 I, I I was I was pursuing in my addiction was something that only God could satisfy. I know that sounds cliché, but it really is true. I Jesus is now my peace. Yeah. Jesus is my joy. Jesus is my reason. Jesus is my purpose. Jesus is my perspective. Jesus is my understanding. He is the author of life, and to try to do it outside of him will just make you try to use anything and everything to make sense of life. Yeah. Some people aren't susceptible to substances. That's not their thing. But then they will try to find life outside of substances. Yeah. Maybe they're not addicted to it, but they're, they're going to try to find their reason in an occupation or a pastime or even a casual, you know, sort of, you know, use of a, something. Um uh, materialism, reputation, platform, or a million and one things that makes them feel good. I realized at the end of the day, it's my relationship with Jesus that satisfied all that. Yeah. And then it gave me a real appetite for life. I like, I want to live life. I'm, I'm a guy I told Ruth when we first we go got to Miami <laughs> and they, they're doing it down there. Yeah. They're doing it. Why? Because I, I really believe Jesus does dwell richly and and maybe even more where the sun is. <laughs> Real quick, there's this there's this C.S. Lewis quote that um, I think parallels everything that you just said. I, I can't quote it exactly, but to paraphrase, it's um, history is the long, sad story mm. of mankind trying to find fulfillment in anything but God. That's it. That's it. Absolutely. I think it's in that same vein of that quote where he says, we, we, we find contentment in sitting in mud puddles, yeah. playing with mud pies when yeah. on the horizon there's a whole ocean for us. Yeah, that, because we don't know what a holiday at sea truly is. <laughs> I, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And so that, that, that was me. And so um, I, I, really, I really want, want to use that. It, please know, I know that can sound really spiritual and really dramatic, and it was, and it certainly was. Um, and sometimes I even have an insecurity, and I govern that testimony when I talk to either moms and dads, or I talk to guys that are still in the, th in the thick of their own addiction. Because for me, I mean, in a moment, I was liberated. And I don't see that as common. And so uh, I, I can certainly understand somebody looking into my story and going, well, that's easy for you. You had this radical encounter with Jesus and man, you were set free and you had a father that loved you well, whereas mine's absent. 
or angry or abusive or all I knew was dysfunction. Mm -hmm. And so there's a part of me that out of my sensitivity for that, um, I, I, I hold my story close to my chest unless I believe that it will inspire someone to maybe see Jesus clear or help someone see how much God loves them. But I understand all the questions that come with my story. But I, I, I still just want to make the macro point that God has come to set the captives free. Mm. It's, it is our bondage that he's very aware of. It is the fact that we, like sheep, have all gone astray and we love to find ourselves imprisoned. We, this is what we pursue and we don't even know it. We, we go to vices and we go to bondage and we go to being cuffed and we go to being, you know, in between rocks and hard places. And, and we have this, our sin nature causes us to be sort of, you know, drawn towards that. And then, and then we're like sheep without a shepherd. I just want everyone to know Jesus is the most incredible shepherd. And he is the one that leaves the 99 to go look for the one. And, um, but that, that requires something on us. Mm-hmm. And that, that it, it, really, it really does. I, I want to read this scripture. It's out of Romans 6 where Paul writes, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God for, for then sin shall not be your master. Mm. Sin wants to master you, bind you, hold you captive. And kill you. And kill you. Steal, kill, and destroy. And it will do that. It will ravish your life, and it will ruin everything. And it will lead you. There's, I've often said there are is such a wickedness of sin that sometimes it'll bring you right to the brink of death, but it'll wait to kill you. Mm. So as just to, to keep you there to torture you. Mm. The enemy of our soul is wicked. And so in the same way that, that he is that vicious, that demonic, that wicked, God is that gracious, that good, and that in pursuit. Mm. And so I, no matter where you are in whether you are in addiction or not i want that to be the macro understanding about our great god and king but what that requires is is that many times you're only as sick as your secrets hmm. so addiction always lives in secrecy by and large you can try to cover it you can try to mask it you can masquerade it but at the end of the day you're you're, you're protecting secrets Sin has a real hard time running free when it's brought into the light. Mm -hmm. So this is where the enemy does a ton of work in trying to keep it in the dark. Mm -hmm. Anything that grows in the dark is toxic. That's just a fundamental universal truth. So sin, the first thing in overcoming addiction is it's got to be brought into the light. That means you have to kill excuses. Mm. You have to kill excuses. Jesus says in Luke 14, but they all alike be, or or there's a, there's a narrative where it says when Jesus tells the parable of the one that said, Hey, go out into the highways and byways, invite everybody to come around my banquet table. Jesus then says, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. The other said, I just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Excuse me. Still another said, I got married and I can't come. Excuse me. What Jesus was making the point of is that when I go to invite, I want to liberate you. I want to bless you. I want to offer you life abundantly to you. We have this propensity to make excuses. Addiction will then ramp even that up Mm. where excuses become our native tongue. We just offer them left and right because we're trying to cover secrets. You got to stop excuses. This is why we got CR here at the church. It's a safe place to come clean, to bring into the light what really is, is, is growing in the darkness. Yeah. Addiction is only conquered when you bring out of the dark what needs to be brought into the light. Secondly, you got to make a dramatic move to cut ties. Hmm. That means that we... we 
addiction grows in familiarity and in a certain community. So there's certain people, there's certain environments, there's certain patterns, there's certain lifestyles, there's certain habits. You gotta cut ties with all of that. Addiction is, scripture calls it a stronghold. The reason that scripture calls it a stronghold is because strongholds are really strong. Mm. They're really, really strong. Stronger than you and me. So you need a strong tower to run to that can break it. You can't break it on your own. I don't, this is why I am not a fan of 28 day programs. Hmm. If you cultivate a strong tower, 28 days ain't gonna break it. It might give you a jump start, but if you go back to the ties, the habits, the people, the communities, the patterns, the environments that were there before you went away, you're going right back to the stronghold. For me, it took a year, a year to break. And I had a radical experience with Jesus. And it still took 12 months to understand why I do what I do, why I have certain proclivities, why I have certain sort of propensities, but you got to break the stronghold. And that means you got to cut ties. That sounds real dramatic. So like I tell guys all the time, if you have a porn porn addiction, you got to get rid of all your devices. Oh, that's not practical. Oh, okay. Then freedom's not practical. That's, that's, there's, that, there's always going to be an excuse. There's again. always an excuse. I, I need that. I can't do it without, you know, my work requires that. You can find ways around that. Where there's a will, there is a way. Hmm. It, how bad do you want freedom? But if you want a little bit of freedom with a lot of bondage, well, then keep making excuses. If, hey, I want to get out of that environment. But these friends love me. Those friends are addicted like you are. you got to break ties with them. Oh, I'm, I'm just going to go there, but I'm not going to do what I used to do there. Uh-uh, that environment bred a certain emotional response to it. you got to break ties with that. So you got to break ties. So I'm going to give it in three ways. There's got to be a breaking of excuses. You got to break ties. And then lastly, you got to fill the void. Hmm. Meaning that where you open yourself up and going, I'm going to remove this environment, that pattern, those friends, you better backfill it with something. It's not just putting away. It's also grabbing and bringing to the idea of, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. You're eventually going to do that. Yeah. So there's got to be. So what are you substituting that with? Absolutely. And scripture is really, oh, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. And Jesus comes in very practical means. Community, friends that love you, you're accountable to, that are are, are with you, that want God's best for you. Um, A schedule that's jam-packed, that doesn't Mm. give you a lot of margin. So that schedule for at least the first year, you better... I mean, fill that mama to the brim so that you don't have a lot of margin to get dumb because idle time is Satan's workshop. Come on, (laughs) come on. You better fill it with good, positive intake. That means that you're reading right, you're seeing right, you're thinking right. That means that you change your diet, means that you feel healthy physically. Why? Because God created us mind, body, and soul. I mean, our body's got, uh, there's an emotional response to eating three squares, getting, getting your, 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 your mental motor working congruent. That means you fill the void. Yeah. You fill the void. And I believe that helps. It's not all, but that helps set you on a trajectory for all that God has in store. Here's the big thing. And then we're running out of time. I want to say this, that one of the most devious lies in addiction is, is that I just need to stop doing this and then fight not to go back to it. That is such a shallow, pauper, and scarcity mentality. That is so far from what God wants. That is so far from what God has in store. That is, I just need to stay away from the thing that'll kill me. That is the first and only one of the components. Mm -hmm. The component that you want to be your driver is, I want all that God has in store for me. I want the holiday at the sea. I want the life of peace and joy. I want harmonious relationships. 
I want kids that respect me. I want a wife that thinks the sun rises and falls where I walk. I want to be able to get up in the morning with a clear conscience. Mm. I want to live without secrets. I want people to see me as a man of integrity or a woman of integrity. I want my boss to celebrate me. I want, it can't be I don't want. Mm. It's gotta be I want. That is why Jesus came to set us free. That is why Jesus said it's for freedom. Freedom is so precious. I used to, I'll say this and then I'll digress. I promise back. I would in that apartment, and maybe I told you this before, I at times when I would be up all night mm -hmm. and my drug of choice was not only handled with speed balls, so I'd go, it was horrible. So I'd go on these benders where you couldn't sleep. It, so in the morning, as the sun was coming up, I would, I would open the blinds in this apartment and I would look out and every single morning, this husband and wife, and not every single morning, that's a little dramatic, but it was, it was if not at every or- It was often. It was often, it was at least every other. I would see this husband and wife walk mm -hmm. and they would hold Dunkin' Donuts. <gasps> Come on somebody. They had little Dunkin' Donuts. They, like they went and got their Dunkin' And then they would walk like this bike path that used to run through this apartment complex of where I was. And they always had these clean sweatsuits on. Mm. Like, like, like he, that dude was, I mean, he had swag. He had like gray Nike sweatsuit, sweatpants on, like a sweatshirt. His shoes were always clean. And they would just walk. They looked so cozy. Mm -hmm. And at and certain mornings, there'd be like a little chill in the air. And they would just walk and they were clean. Their hair was... And I, I was the disparity mm. of where I was looking out that window, been up all night, sick, not, not anywhere close to feeling good from what I had put mm. in my body mm. to them. They were bright. Their countenance was up. They would look at when they were always talking. I always wondered, what, what are y'all talking? You got a lot to talk about. Yeah. They talked every morning. And I just remember thinking, I want that. Mm. I want just the simplicity and the beauty of that. I so want that. And I sit here today. <laughs> it's been a very emotional podcast. As it should be. To and be I fair. sit here today and God has given me that and so much more. Mm. I, I, I just wanted that. I just wanted clean. Just give me some Duncan. Just give me some Duncan and clean shoes. Yeah. And I'll be a happy. God, God, he's just been so good, Boots. Mm. So good. And I don't deserve any of it. And I haven't earned an ounce of it. It's all been, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourself. It's a gift of God so that no person can boast. I am a living example of that. And then one last thing. Can I say one last thing and then, and then, and then I'm done? I yeah, promise. Because you're making me teary-eyed over okay. here. So go okay. ahead. Go I want to say this. This is too, and I say this often. And, and before you say that, I just want to say you herald from such a place of gratitude <laughs> that it is everything that you just said it it's so evident and you make so much of jesus <laughs> and it's just amazing to to watch from mm. from my vantage point and, and i so appreciate appreciate that thank you man. <laughs> so now back to your point now, now that you're ready for it <laughs> okay one last point and I, and i so appreciate that bob we took a very complex matter and I and I I reduced it down to three points and I am well aware it doesn't work like that all the time. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to be I know I'm a reductionist and I like simplicity, but I understand it's not that simple. And so there are all kinds of nuances and situations and contexts. 
I, I, I want to just speak to the people on the outside of addiction that are trying to help those enslaved by it. And I just want to make this one, one point, and this is one of many, but so often addiction, when you're on the outside looking in, it can make you see, feel so helpless mm-hmm. and hopeless because you can't fix it and you can't manipulate them out of it and you can't manufacture a remedy to it. So you're just left to fill the meantime. And I just wanna say that whether it's a mom or dad or a spouse or a sibling or what have you, there is such a strong temptation that I need to get in there and I need to fix them. And many times there couldn't be a worse decision because what you ultimately wind up doing is prolonging the breaking point. Mm. See, an addict really doesn't change until they hit rock bottom or they have a dramatic experience. The objective is to get them, get them to rock bottom before they kill themselves. And I know that sounds really dramatic, but that's really what you're at. You're, you're, you're to get them to a pain point because there's no motivator like pain. So they got to hit a, a pain point enough that then is the catalyst to, I want to change and I'm willing to change and I'll do whatever it takes to change. But what happens many times when people put their hands in, in addiction, trying to fix someone is that they, they mitigate the rock bottom and they don't allow the addict to hit there. It says in the book of Luke 15 chapter, the same story about the prodigal. Mm-hmm. It says that when the, the prodigal son realized that the farmers that, that, that farmed the pigs yeah. would not even give him the pods that the pigs ate, the very next verse says, he then came to his senses. Yep. What that means is he was starving so bad physically, and he was destitute by way of reputation and people's perspective. He was so rock bottom that they wouldn't even give him mud. And then he came to his senses and thought, I got to go home. I just want to say to the moms and dads, I know you feel like that's not loving when in fact, letting them hit rock bottom is the most loving thing you can do because that is many times where they come to their senses. That's where I came to mine. Mm -hmm. And so that sounds so scary because you're afraid the rock will ultimately be the thing that takes them out. That's where you pray. I, 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 I believe I, I sit here today as a result of a praying mother. Mm-hmm. She, she did not try to manipulate or manufacture a remedy in me. She prayed me into the kingdom, and she did it on the daily. She did not mitigate my free fall. She knew it was coming. She just prayed, God, keep him alive so that when he hits there, he comes to his senses. And so that's a hard charge to those that would be enablers or those that would try to get in there. Don't do that. Don't do that. Um, you actually could, could further the problem mm-hmm. by being an enabler. And so... Um, I know that's hard, but there's a lot of questions that surround that. What do I do? You pray them into the kingdom. You hold firm lines and boundaries and don't let them cross it. You know that addiction and manipulation are hand in glove. You become wide-eyed to it and don't let them run game on you Mm -hmm. because that is the native language of an addict. Been there, done that, got a t-shirt, and you better be smarter than that or you'll wind up trying to help in ways that aren't helpful. Yeah. And your dad did that so well. Yeah. Yeah. Everything from saying, I love you, but you can't stay here. Yep. You got to go. Exactly. You got to go. Oh, man. Wow. That went a whole nother direction. But, um, hey, I, I I so appreciate, you know, you sharing all that and just what a, what a fresh, wind at my back that provides and and i i can only imagine how um refreshing and inspiring and hope-filled um that that message is for our listeners and you know i i just i i think that the the sun rises and falls where you walk how about that no i i I so appreciate you sharing all that man thank you man it never gets old thank you for the hope that jesus brings never gets old amen amen man Thank you so much. 
So on that note, on that note, actually, we were supposed to, <laughs> <laughs> we were supposed to announce something. Hey, let's, let's, let's pull it up. Hey, yeah. Um, get ready. Yeah. Boots. Give, give, give them the big announcement. Okay. So the big announcement, we have teased this before, but we're doing a live episode, a live episode that you can actually register for and be here with us for the oh. season three finale. Uh, we're going to have registration for that. That's, that's open now, actually. Um, but you can check the Instagram page for all that info where, where you can do that exactly. Uh, that's going to be big. It's going to be big. Go You're big or go home. Group. That's always been our motto here. <laughs> totally. So uh, we're not going to tell you how many people are going to be here, but we do have limited, limited availability. Very limited. But it's going to be a ball. We're going to party. It's going to be on a Friday night. Yep. June 9th. Your birthday. No, it airs on my birthday. Oh, it airs it on your birthday. It's a day after my birthday. Oh. A little consolation oh, prize okay. for you. Okay. We yeah. have a little birthday cake here. And you don't want to miss it. $30 a person. I know that sounds like a lot, but you get a lot. It's not a lot of for a nada. It's, it's just a little bit for a lot of. And, and it's going to be our 30th episode. That's why it's 30 for 30. And we want you to come be with us. That's right. Uh, but with that, we thank you guys for listening and following us wherever you get your podcasts. Also, again, follow us on Instagram. That's where you'll find the info for the live event. That's at Simplexity Podcast. Of course, you can watch us on YouTube as well. That's the Lighthouse Church channel, Simplexity Playlist. We love you guys. Oh, I'm late. Oh, I'm late.